Here we go. West Hills Friends is a Quaker meeting in Portland, Oregon. You can find more information about our community at westhillsfriends.org. As a Quaker community, we encourage everyone to share from their hearts. Especially as it pertains to God's leading in their lives. These words are shared into a community that values the opportunity to respond and dialogue about what is said. The responses and dialogue are not included in this recording. The views expressed in this content are solely those of the original contributor. And do not necessarily speak for the entire West Hills Friends community. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. The scripture for today, there are two. Proverb 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The balloons were blue. The balloons that popped out of the box were blue. Seconds before, Maddie and I had whispered to each other with all of the guests in our backyard, likely wishing they could hear, and we had both guessed it was a girl. When the balloons rose up, there was a wave of surprise that rose up with them. It was exciting and wonderful to know that this baby would be a boy. Somehow it felt less abstract that way. The following day, I left for one night in a yurt along the Oregon coast with a few girlfriends. I remember lying awake in my bunk after everyone else was asleep, ruminating over all things boy. I remember feeling the weight of a new question. What does it mean to raise a man? It is no less weighty to raise a woman, of course, but at least I had some idea about how to go about that, about some of the experiences that are typical for girls. We would be raising someone with such privilege and I began to wonder how we would teach him to be generous and gracious with that. Fast forward five years. Want to know what I wondered about this week? How do I get Desmond to stop picking his nose? <laughs> Does popcorn constitute a meal? Why do I even do the laundry if it just sits there getting wrinkled instead of getting folded? That's part of the reality, but I do also carry and consider the bigger, deeper questions about parenting. How do my husband and I stay healthy as individual people and as a couple while devoting the vast majority of our time to work and parenting? How do I balance the importance of spending quality time attuned to my kids while with the needs of running a household? And the question I want to explore today how do we raise children as spiritual beings? I want to take you back with me about three weeks to the middle of August. Maddie was away on an eight-day climbing trip, 
and I was on day seven of a tired, solo parenting context. <laughs> the first few days had been fabulous, but Desmond and Rory, who are four and a half and two and a half, had evidently decided that daddy's absence was the perfect time to play musical beds most nights. So by this point, I was wearing thin. It was a Sunday morning, and I was looking forward to coming to church. The boys would have fun, and more importantly, would be looked after by someone else. <laughs> I would sit quietly. I would sit quietly and soak in the ministry of music and prepared words and responses to the moving of God's spirit for an hour. <laughs> well, in addition to the usual feat of getting us all clothed, fed, and out the door, I had to take care of a few extra chores. We left the house a few minutes late, um, but so far, so good. We made one stop on our way. Mistake number one. Because of this, we were leaving from a different part of town, so I turned to trusty maps for the most direct route. Mistake number two. <laughs> As expected, it took me over the Morrison Bridge to get on I-5 South. Maps then directed me to stay in the right lane to exit onto NATO Parkway toward I-5 South, because the British series much more pleasant. <laughs> Maps was not aware of the barricades labeled road closed. I had barely passed the exit when Maps adjusted with stay in the left lane. So I quickly got over three lanes of traffic just before reaching the intersection of 2nd Avenue when Maps chirped stay in the right lane to turn right onto 2nd Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> this ushered in several minutes of driving around in circles because it turned out that NATO Parkway was closed for many blocks. I had to pull over and do some navigation with my actual brain. Desmond asked, why are we parked here? And Rory chimed in, I want to go to OMSI. <laughs> I, <did, laughs> I did eventually make it onto I-5, questioning whether it was even worth it to go to church at this point, but unwilling to turn back. Finally, I took the familiar exit for Multnomah Boulevard, only to drive two minutes before encountering another sign declaring road closed, and I felt like the universe was mocking me. <laughs> Finally, we arrived. When I helped Des out of his car seat, he informed me, Mommy, I need to go poop. For my almost five-year-old, number two is a 15 to 20-minute event for which my assistance is needed, shall we say, toward the end. As I was absorb absorbing this revelation, he asked, Mommy, why are we at church? I fought the urge to say, hell if I know. <laughs> and I was depleted enough that I didn't even attempt a wise answer about studying the ways of God or growing in community. Instead, I simply responded with, we're at church because I like being here. I like how I feel here. Not the worst answer, actually. Oh my goodness, parenting is hard. <laughs> and you've heard that before, but it's a truth that sometimes beats you down every 16-hour long day. Just before Maddie's climbing trip, I went on a four-day camping trip with one of my very deepest friends, and it was seriously heaven on earth. Maddie sent me messages of, I miss you. And I was like, hmm, <laughs> I'm in no rush to get back. <laughs> he, 
He is honestly the world's best dad, and he took the boys to about 30 playgrounds in four days, but when I got home, he was eager to emphasize how hard it was to be with the boys all day, every day, and how draining. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> That's a weird thing in and of itself, right? We literally could not love our children more, and yet we are starved for time away from them. Two things happened later in the day on that Sunday when I arrived with Des and Rory so late that I missed Peg's entire message. The first is vulnerable for me. We were driving to my mom's house, Grandma Ruthie's, after meeting. She was going to watch the boys while I went to a baby shower. Rory was singing his ABCs. He's two and a half, so everything he does is adorable. Except that Big Brother wanted to demonstrate to Rory how to sing the ABCs at warp speed. To which Rory responded with, no! After a little back and forth about this, I called upon my ninja-like parenting skills and directed my sons to take turns singing their ABCs at whatever speed inspired them. This worked great for Desmond, but Rory couldn't wait his turn. When he started slowly singing A, B, C, D over Desmond's U.R.S. T.U.V., Des became enraged. <laughs> Not only did he scream at Rory, but he reached over and hit him. I gave Desmond the classic menacing look in the rearview mirror and told him to stop hitting your brother. But he didn't. And I snapped. I completely snapped at him. I was ugly and mean. So then I cried. I cried the, maybe I'm not supposed to be a mom because I am hurtful to my beautiful children, tears. It's in those moments that it feels hypocritical to even talk about cultivating my children's spirituality. We arrived at my mom's house where I acted like everything was fine. I fed the boys their lunches and put Rory down for his nap, and then I went to a baby shower, which is where the second thing happened. After the games and before opening presents, an aunt of the mom-to-be offered some thoughts about raising children. She very tenderly spoke about fostering bonds between siblings and cousins and family in general. Then she talked about what a blessing it has been that all of her children are believers, and she used the phrase, raising children in the faith. And there I was, torn. This woman is so lovely. I genuinely respect her and appreciate her heart. But I also saw the veiled discomfort on my friend's face, who, a follower of Christ herself, married and is about to have a baby with a wonderful man who is agnostic. I'm pretty sure they haven't figured out what it will look like for them to help their daughter develop as a spiritual person. For all of my 20s, I would have presumed that I would one day raise my children in the faith. To me, that would have meant teaching them pretty standard Christian doctrine, praying with them, and encouraging them to memorize scripture. They probably would have attended Vacation Bible School, or VBS, to us insiders. And I would have felt very proud of all of this. Instead, life had other plans. Or maybe it was God, since she so often comes to us disguised as our lives. Like my friend, I married an agnostic. While we are very much aligned on most matters of parenting and life, our differing ideas about God brought my former notions of raising children in the faith to a blessed screeching halt. And then the most beautiful thing happened. 
God and I started sifting. We have sifted and sifted my ideas and beliefs for years now. I'm grateful for the pieces that have fallen away. I no longer need them, and I don't want to hand them down to Desmond and Rory. I'm grateful for the raw, pure, astounding beauty and mystery of what has remained. The depth of my faith has remained, and it has also grown more flexible. I am not fixated on doctrinal beliefs, although I do still love theological exploration and conversation, because I now see much of dogma as stemming from our urge to control. Certainty helps us to feel safe, because uncertainty feels so scary. But Jesus must have been okay with the uncertainty that would come from his teachings being misinterpreted because he never wrote anything down. So I'm nudged to accept ambiguity and embrace mystery. And as I lean into that, I see that Jesus doesn't spend much time teaching orthodoxy, right belief, or orthopraxy, right practice. He is the one who calls out the religious leaders for the sin of reducing the spiritual life to a contest in rule following. For Jesus, everything starts with and comes back to and only matters because of relationship. So here is some of what I want to come of nurturing my sons as spiritual creatures. I want them to know in their bones that we are all inextricably connected by a power greater than ourselves. I want them to understand that true connection is grounded in love, never in fear or shame or hatred. That is a false version of connection. I want them to see how the fruit of healthy faith is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness and self-control. I want them to be truly compassionate humans. I want my children to have a healthy foundation for a life of faith, but I do not believe it is within my control to determine what they will believe. I want them to know Jesus as the Son of God and as the ultimate example of compassion and as a political revolutionary. I want the differences in belief between their daddy and me to be not a source of divisiveness, but rather a lived lesson in acceptance of varied worldviews in their very own home. All of this is incredibly important to me, and yet I am learning the art of not having it all figured out. I read a thoughtful children's Bible with Desmond, and it prompts rich conversation, but it's sporadic. We spend a lot of time in nature and speak about what that does for our souls. We express prayers of gratitude as a family before dinner. We take food to people who rise in our hearts as needing the encouragement of homemade soup or fresh baked cookies. We aim to start each day from the authentic, wholehearted foundation of our love for one another, not from any version of the anxiety-fueled framework imposed by to-do lists and societal expectations, and from that foundation of love to enjoy a wonderful day together, experiencing God's world and learning and loving together. We apologize when we fail, when we are ugly. 
And we are so thankful to be here at West Hills, where warmth and compassion reign, where mystery, reflection, and wondering are emphasized over memorization and certainty. Here are a few queries as we enter into open worship. How has it felt to do the work of sifting with God in your life? What sifting might there still be for you to do? How do you imagine nurturing the spirituality of the children in your life? Where is God calling you to move away from certainty or control and deeper into relationship? Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. We're really happy that so many of you are finding it to be helpful and as a way to stay connected with what's going on with us here at West Hills Friends. If you'd like to stay connected with us in other ways, we have a couple options for you. You could check out our website. It's westhillsfriends.org. There you'll find some more information about who we are as a community. You could also follow us on Facebook. We have a Facebook account by just searching for West Hills Friends. You can also follow us on Instagram. We have a Instagram account with the name West Hills Friends. So we hope that you'll get connected with us in other ways. And again, thanks for taking the time to listen to this podcast.